Thank you again for this day that you have blessed us with. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that except you build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And that will be primarily the message that we will look at today. Thank you for the Sermon on the Mount and the many wonderful truths, the profound truths that you have taught to us about true righteousness. And Father, may we truly be doers of the word, not hearers only, and apply all these fantastic truths to our own lives that we might reflect you better to this dark world in which we live. We pray now that you would go before us. Would your spirit have his will and way, Lord? And if there is one here who has not built her life upon the foundational rock of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that she would make that all-important decision this very day. For we do pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, in this final lesson on the famous Sermon on the Mount, we continue and complete what is perhaps the most important part of the sermon, and that is the Lord's invitation to apply to our hearts and lives all that he has had to say about true kingdom citizen righteousness. He closed this message. This is the closure of his entire sermon, Matthew chapter, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7. He closed it by picturing two builders and their houses. And these houses are metaphors for two men's religious lives. Their houses symbolize their lives. Particularly, we will be looking at the foundation upon which they built their houses. Are foundations important? Foundations are very important. And one of the reasons we spent four years studying the book of Genesis is because it lays the foundation for the whole scripture, doesn't it? And that's why I'm always so glad that the Lord gave me big feet. (laughs) You know, I wear a size 12. Actually, I'm an 11 and a half, but it's very hard to find 11 and a half. But I always say, well, you know, I have a good foundation on life. I'm not easily toppled over. (laughs) And that's why it's so important to lay a good foundation in our children's lives. Their early years are so important for them, aren't they? But foundations are very important, and we'll see that as we look at the uh, message of these two builders and the houses that they build. It's interesting to see that in the Lord's extended invitation, which consists of three sections, that's why we're spending three lessons on it, We talked about two ways, two trees, and now two builders. The Lord, in those three parts of his invitation, is actually giving us a picture of the life of faith from beginning to end. His initial words about the two ways illustrate the beginning of a person's faith when he gets off the broad way to enter in at the the straight gate or the narrow gate. So that talks about the beginning of the life of faith. Then his words having to do with two trees, which we looked at last week, illustrate the growth and the results of the life of faith, which is evidenced by what? Good fruit. That shows the uh, the growth. And now his final words regarding two builders picture for us the end of this life of faith when God will call everything to final judgment and the house built on the sure foundation of Jesus Christ, the solid rock, will endure. So that's interesting, isn't it? In our lesson last week, Two Trees, we considered the Lord's words concerning um, two very serious, very deadly dangers. First of all, there is the danger of being led astray by false prophets, false teachers. And by the way, I kept meaning to tell you this, and I forgot, that did, did any of you hear a couple weeks ago about the church in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is actually, it's a mainline denominational church, and they are actually teaching the gospel according to Harry Potter. Can you imagine talking about false prophets and false teachers? It's incredible, just incredible. So we talked about the danger of being led astray by false prophets and also the danger of being led astray by our own sense of uh, security in a false profession of faith. Actually, Christ's warning concerning this second danger of false profession has two aspects to its warning. In verses 21 to 23, 
the Lord's words tell us of the danger of saying all the right things. Remember, the, the people that stand before him at the great white throne judgment who say the right things, what do they say? Lord, Lord. And they did all kinds of things in his name. They said the right things, but they did not do the will of God. You know, they tried to approach the Lord with lip service, but not with life service. Now, so that was those who say the right things, but don't do them. Now, in today's lesson, the Lord speaks of the second aspect of false profession, which is those who hear. He says, those who hear these sayings of mine. He actually says that in verse um, 24 and again in verse 26. Those who hear these sayings of his. What sayings, by the way? These sayings of mine. What he had just spoken in the sermon. Those who hear these sayings of mine. Those who hear what I have said about true righteousness. Righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of religious people like the scribes and and Pharisees. He talks about those who hear these things, but doeth them not. They do not do God's will. So there's the danger of saying and not doing. And then there is the danger of hearing and not doing. And the Lord seriously warns his listeners of both of these because there are many, remember how he said many uh, will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. There are many who fall into one or both of these fatally destructive traps. And remember, these many are those who think that they are Christians. They they really think that they are true Christians. They are self-deceived into thinking that they are on the narrow way that leads to life, but they're not. Hearing, you know, we know faith comes by hearing. You have to hear, and hearing what? The word of God. Hearing must always, however, be translated into doing, and that's the problem that the Lord Jesus addresses in his comparison of two builders. He said that the one who hears is like a wise man who builds his house upon the foundation of rock, while the one who hears and does not do is like a foolish man who builds his house upon what kind of foundation? Sand. All right, so let's hear hear exactly what he said and look at Matthew 7, verses 24 to, uh, let me stop at 27, and then remind me at the end to read 28 and 29 in case I forget. <clears throat> All right, the Lord Jesus says in Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, everything that he has just taught in the sermon, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Okay, if you will turn over to Luke. I want to read you the parallel account of this in Luke chapter 6. Because we'll be talking about some of the things that Luke mentions and the words he uses in our lesson, and they just amplify the truths we'll be talking about. In Luke 6, verse 48, Jesus says, well, let me start verse 47, where he says, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. And he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently. And immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Okay, you can stay there, you can go back to Matthew, or you can mark both places, because we'll be talking about both. 
<clears throat> the problem of hearing and not doing is certainly nothing new. It's been around ever since the beginning of time, beginning of man. Well, actually the beginning of angels, right? In fact, it was at the heart of much sin. It is at the heart of much sin, if not most sin. <clears throat> it's a problem that we find repeatedly addressed in the scripture. Ezekiel spoke of this problem when he said uh, to God, he said, speaking of God's people, he says, they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth, they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. He says, and lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. In other words, he's saying to God, to these people who hear what you say, you're like a, a person who has a lovely voice and is singing a beautiful song, and they stand there and then they admire it and say, oh, what a beautiful song that was. But they don't listen to the words of the song. They just admire it and walk off, and that's the end of that. <clears throat> and this problem, of course, of hearing and not doing is also addressed in the New Testament. Besides hearing the sermon... For example, we find James talks about those who are hearers only and not doers of the word. Therefore, they are deceivers of their own selves. They're like people who look in a mirror. In the morning, you get up, you know, you go look in the mirror and you see a mess in there and you walk away and don't do a thing about it. He, he compares them to a person who, who sees his face in a mirror, sees what's wrong, but goes, it says, goes his way forgetting what manner of man that he was. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 2.13, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law. Now, of course, no man can completely do the law, can he? That's why, of course, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> On Judgment Day, many professing believers will hear Christ say what? And why call me ye Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? That's Luke's parallel account to our Matthew um, sermon. To many, to many, not just a few, but to many, the word Lord is just a name that they use, but not a way of life. Many people, especially in the south of the United States of America, many people call Jesus Lord, but they do not live as though they truly believed it. So we once again see in the, in the two builders that Christ put his listeners into one of only two categories. They either heed or do what they have heard him tell them to do, or they do not heed what they have heard him tell them to do. Throughout the revelation of God to men, we find that there are only two categories of response to him. There is either a right response or a wrong response. How many is that? Right or wrong? Two. There is either obedience or there is disobedience. There is either truth or falsehood. There is either the saved or the lost. There is either the straight gate or the wide gate. There is the good tree with good fruit or the bad tree with bad fruit, <clears throat> the corrupt tree, or bad tree with corrupt fruit. There is, are either the wise or the foolish, as we hear in this passage today. There is either heaven or hell. There's either life or destruction. Life or death, yeah, life or destruction. And this is important to stress, <clears throat> and I know it seems simple to us, but it's important to stress, particularly in our day and age, when the focus is on trying to invent all kinds of additional categories, all kinds of middle ground, you know, all kinds of alternatives that are not so absolute. You know, for example, well, it's not just good or evil. There's a lot of things that can be in between. This is a day and age when men are calling good evil and evil good, aren't they? 
There's all kinds of gray issues that they say are not so absolute and uh, they're not so black and, and white, they're not so right and wrong, etc. Scripture, however, repeatedly emphasizes only two categories. <clears throat> to the Israelites, Moses said, we talked about this last week, he said, I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. You know, take your pick. Elijah said to the Israelites up on Mount Carmel, he says, how long will ye halt between how many opinions? Two opinions, you know. If Baal is God, well, okay, follow him. But if God is God, follow him. <clears throat> and Psalm 1 tells us of two types of people, the godly and the ungodly, sinners and, and saints, sinners and the righteous. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, we have heard Jesus tell us over and over again that there's only two ways. Um, and remember he said, no man can serve two masters. You either serve God or you serve mammon. The world doesn't like to hear, however, you know, the Bible's consistent declaration of only two categories. The world wants to invent a host of other categories in order to disguise its evil and make its sin look more respectable. Many people today say that it is too narrow to talk about something as either being good or evil, right or wrong, true or false. That's too limiting, they say. And it's too limiting only because it condemns their evil and their pride and their selfishness. They would rather believe that the issues of life are more complex than, than that. That there are situational ethics. You know, there are times when doing wrong is really right. It's, I mean, the world is getting so topsy-turvy, isn't it? <clears throat> and and well, they'll say that, you know, often the evil thing is really the good thing. Like living outside living together outside of marriage is really okay when two people love one another. <clears throat> is that true? No. I mean, God says it's absolutely wrong. Aborting the baby is really good, they will say, when the child isn't really wanted anyway. Or a freeing the child molester is really good because basically that poor guy is basically a kind-hearted person who is just a little bit mentally unbalanced, etc. You listen to the news so you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> the world would not have us to believe that there are only two ways of life, the straight way that leads to heaven and the broad way that leads to eternal destruction. Neither, of course, would they say that there is only one wise way to build one's life. And all other ways are uh, <clears throat> categorized foolish. They would really balk at that. But life is not complex. Just as the gospel message is not complex. It's, it's very simple. It's so simple that even a child can understand. It doesn't take a whole lot to know that there is a right way and there is a wrong way. And that's how simple it is. Doing, as Christ says, is building upon a rock. That's the right way. His word is the great foundation upon which we are to build our lives. Christ and his word are inseparable. So when we talk about the rock, we're talking about both Christ and his word, because he and his word are inseparable. What he says cannot be separated from who he is. He is the word. He is his own spoken word. He and his word cannot be separated. So the rock represents his word, and therefore him. It says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. Many times in the scripture we are told that, that God, Jesus Christ is God, is our rock. The Lord is my rock. He is my rock and my salvation. That rock was Christ, etc. So he and his word are the rock foundation we will be talking about. Now, in the comparative account, which we read over in Luke's gospel, Jesus said that the wise man digged deep to reach a, a rock foundation. Both the digging and the depth are actually emphasized in the Greek, which could really be translated more literally as digged and deepened. 
And the idea is twofold. The wise man not only dug, but he dug deep down and wide until he came to bedrock. He came to solid rock. Now that was hard work, wasn't it? And this reemphasizes what we talked about uh, with regard to the narrow way. Being, being a Christian and doing God's will is not always easy, is it? It isn't. I know some of you complain sometimes about the homework, although I haven't heard that too much lately. It's not always easy to dig deep into God's word. Like the house built on a rock foundation, it has its times in the Christian life when it involves pain. Our walk will involve pain and labor and self-denial. It takes strength. It takes discipline. It takes determination, all of which are the complete opposite of the way in which the world portrays the Christian. The world enjoys mocking Christianity as something for the simple and the lazy and the puny and the sissy and the kind of non-intellectual wimps. You know, if ever you see a, a program on television, there's a Christian in the program. That's the way they portray the Christian. But that is not at all the true biblical portrait of Christianity. It requires far more fortitude and discipline and commitment and steadfast strength to be a follower of Christ than to be a follower of Satan. And by the way, if a person is not following Christ, he is automatically following Satan, the God of this present world. You are either for Christ or you are automatically against him. And when you are against him, you are on the broad road to destruction. You automatically, because we're born as sinners, we're sinners by birth and by choice, but you're automatically a member of the kingdom of darkness. Now, the man who built his house on a rock foundation is said to be wise, wise. And that also refutes the world's picture of Christians as simple and non-intellectual. Now, we might appear to be foolish to the world. That's the way they look at us and portray us. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. We may appear to the world to be weak, But God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, says in 1 Corinthians 1.17. Now, the word wise in the Greek here means prudent and sensible. If you're a Christian, you're prudent and sensible. Don't you like that? I like that. This builder was indeed prudent and sensible in having dug deep to get to a good rock foundation for his house. Rock is solid isn't it? It's solid and it's unmovable. It doesn't shift around. By the way, did you know that the Great Pyramid over in Israel is built on a huge piece of granite? That's why it hasn't sunk after all these centuries. Because if you go there, it looks like it's just built on sand. But underneath it is this tremendous... How they knew that that granite rock was down there, I don't know. But they were brilliant back in those days. But rock doesn't shift around. It's not changed by the times and the seasons and the current trends or fads. It endures. This builder was prudent, and he was sensible also in that he had obviously thought ahead about the future. He wasn't just thinking of the present. He anticipated the storms of life that would come, and he did not bury his head in the sand (laughs) or build his house on the sand, but he faced reality. He knew storms would indeed come. Too many people live their lives only focused where? On the here and now. And they do not think or even want to think about the hereafter. They bury their heads in the sands of unreality. And their failure leads to their own eternal ruin. John Tilliston, back in the 1600s, said this. He said, quote, He who provides for this life but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment, but a fool forever. And Thomas Carlyle said, He who has no vision of eternity will never get a true hold of time. If you don't look at everything in light of eternity... You have no real concept of time in this world. 
This is very, if you think more, think more and more about that, it's so true. Moses made this indictment of the Israelites when he said, Oh, that they were wise, that they would consider their latter end. You know, if men would only be wise enough to think about their latter end, what awaits them after this life is over? What profit, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? To put one's main emphasis on the flesh and the life in this world, of this world, is to lose the most valuable thing of all, your eternal soul. You know, wouldn't it be depressing? It would be very, very depressing if our chief purpose and end would be in this world only. You know, wouldn't that be a dismal picture? It would be. It would be terribly dismal. In this world, wrong sits in great pride upon the the throne, and right is its footstool. Wrong is on the throne today, and right is at the footstool, on the footstool. Evil is ruling, and it's waxing, evil men are waxing worse and worse. Evil rules, and it's having a heyday. Evil has always ruled, but it is getting worse than the Bible predicted it would get worse. Suffering and fear and worry and heartache are constant companions of this life. Have you noticed that? And I am so very glad that this world is not all that there is for me to focus on. Are you? I'm so glad that I'm just, I'm a pilgrim and I'm just passing through and my real focus is ahead of me in the righteousness that will reign when Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but one day he will rule and everyone will know he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and peace and joy will prevail. Aren't you looking forward to that day? Even so, come quickly, Lord. John Butler writes, quote, Building upon Christ, which is building upon what he has said, has never been popular. The great portion of humanity wants to build their lives on anything but Christ. They do not want Christ and his word in their lives, and he says, and our courts indicate they don't want him and his word in a lot of places in our land either. They don't want him on our money. They don't want him on our uh, his Ten Commandments and our uh, buildings in Washington. They just want to get him out of the Pledge of Allegiance, <laughs> out of our schools. But he says, but it is the wise man who builds on the rock and the foolish man who does not build upon the rock, end of quote. The wise man is not imp- He's not impatient for instant results like we'll see the foolish man is. He's very impatient. The wise man builds carefully, but he first and foremost selects a prime piece of of realty, which is located on a solid foundation of rock. He is not too impatient. He's not too proud to consult with the knowledgeable architect for advice. He pays attention to the rules regarding proper construction for a lasting house. Spiritually, he symbolizes the true believer, doesn't he? He hears, he hears about his own sinful heart, and he believes it. And he mourns over it, his sinful nature, and he repents. And he looks to the blood of Jesus Christ to wash him clean. He's not satisfied either with just a superficial confession of faith. He searches his heart diligently to make sure he is truly saved. He tests his behavior and he tests his motives and his attitude and his virtues against the teaching of righteousness given in the scripture and so much so in the sermon that we have been looking at. He doesn't resent this searching, but he welcomes it. Someone who resents being asked, are you truly a Christian? That's a little red flag, isn't it? I mean, I wouldn't resent it if any of you came to me and asked me if I truly was a Christian, if I had searched, examined myself, and if I really know. Yeah, I'd say, and I'd thank you for asking me. 
He humbles himself under both the purifying and the chastening work of God. And in doing all these things, his life begins to sound like the list of the, the beatific virtues, the beatitudes. And he becomes as salt and light to this world, even though he himself may not even realize it. But he is. He's becoming a, a salt to this world and a light to this world. Now, the foolish man, unlike the wise builder, did not take the time to dig deeply in order to build his house on a rock foundation. <clears throat> he liked the location. Maybe he liked the location uh, because it was near schools or near his, uh, his job or near um, shopping, the shopping center. And he liked the location he found, and he didn't care. You know, it was insignificant to him whether the site for his home had sandy soil or not. He didn't want to take the time to do a ground test. He perhaps was attracted to a ready-prepared level surface of sand. You know, he wouldn't have to get the bulldozers out. This place was already leveled, and, and it just satisfied him. He didn't do a ground test because he was impatient, and he wanted quick results. He didn't trouble himself with, with listening to advice from those who are the voice of experience. He didn't bother uh, reading from the proper house-building instruction book, which is what? The Word of God. He, he wanted his house, and he wanted it now. And he thought he had heard enough from the architect to get building wisdom. You know, after all, he, he did hear. He, he's a man, he heard the same message that the other man, the wise man, heard. It says he heard. He just didn't do. So he pictures symbolically for us the one who says, okay, I've heard that I can have eternal life by believing in Christ. So with his head knowledge, he says, I believe, and so I'm secure, and that's it. I, need, I, I don't need to know any more. No need to study the instruction manual. No need to waste any of my uh, own precious time in church. And it's what we talked about, totally head knowledge. Hasn't traveled down the 18 inches to his heart. There's no real repentance. There's no turning from sin. There's no mournfulness over his sin. So he builds on a sand foundation, and everything proceeds very quickly. He may even look over at his neighbor who is digging so deeply, taking all that time to dig deeply, and he might even think to himself how slow and how dumb that man is. might even criticize his efforts at something he sees as unimportant. He proudly thinks how smart he is. He may think, well, you know, I'm going to have a complete house to live in by the time that guy over there is just finished laying his foundation. However, speed in constructing a house does not necessarily indicate wisdom, does it? Speed is not always something that is synonymous with success. Just because the church might grow really fast doesn't mean that those people are being taught expositionally in the word of God and the pastor is laying the foundation of rock for those people. <clears throat> This is, and this is especially true not just for churches but for the Christian, which is what both of these builders think that they are. However, the reason the foolish man makes, uh, likes the easy way of building is because his faith is superficial. Superficial people, or we could call them shallow people, have very little concern for planning things which will last for eternity. Laying up treasure where? In heaven. Instead, they lay up their treasure here on earth. Uh, superficial people have very little concern for putting a lot of effort into something that is not visible, like a foundation, a foundation of faith. Uh, superficial people don't have much concern for giving attention to detail, like learning the whole counsel of God. The superficial person is more concerned with that which is pleasing than in that which is correct and right and moral. He's more concerned with satisfying himself than in satisfying God. Many superficial people are concerned with, with their feelings, with experiencing some kind of a spiritual high, more so than they are with digging deep for spiritual truth. Is that not true? 
That's why our Bible study isn't, I mean, this is a pretty good crowd today. But it is, you know, we're not bursting out of the seams, are we? Because there aren't too many people who are really willing to dig deep to lay their foundation for their lives. They say, well, I don't need to know all that. A superficial person doesn't want to feel discontent with himself, so he never completely and honestly faces his own sin nature and the effects of his sin in the light of a holy God. He doesn't want to feel unhappy. He doesn't want to feel uncomfortable. So he evades such foundational truths of Christian virtue as spiritual bankruptcy or mournfulness over sin. That doesn't make him comfortable. takes him out of his comfort zone. He has a loose foundation. He has an empty profession. He has external religion only. His submission to Christ's teaching and to Christ himself is in word only. He's like a man who, you know, the man in the parable of the sower and the seed over in Matthew chapter 13. The man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no firm root. And when does that become apparent? When the afflictions come. And do they come? Oh, yes. And when the persecutions arise, he falls away. In other words, he likes to hear about the promises of God, but he doesn't like the requirements. He wants God's blessings, but he doesn't really desire to know God or serve him or fellowship uh, with, with him and his people or worship him with his whole being, whatever the cost to him may be personally. He doesn't want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. And what is it? To know him and the, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He doesn't really know what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he's not really interested in righteousness or holiness or being Christ-like. He only wants to feel comfortable and secure. He wants all to be well with his life and with his eternal future. But he wants it on his own terms. And he wants it in his own way. Much of the time, speed in building something may indicate also or include also shortcuts, taking shortcuts. The foolish builder had speed because of the fact that he did take a shortcut, didn't he? Took a very significant shortcut. He did not dig down deep to a rock foundation. And this shortcut, as we will see, was a fatal one. Sin has a lot of shortcuts. Sin promises things right now, doesn't it? Instant gratification. It's God's word that promises so many things when? Later. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. A lot of the promises of God are not for right now although we get many blessings right now, but many of the promises are for later. The word of God promises good things happen to those who trust and obey and wait. Christians really do have to learn how to be patient, don't they? Speed and shortcuts appeal to the flesh. For man's carnal nature wants everything right now. He doesn't want to wait. He wants his mansion now. So he goes into debt, way over his head. He wants his sex now, so he doesn't wait until marriage. He wants to get rich now, so he gambles, and he plays the lottery, and he cheats, and he deals in illicit things. However, all these shortcuts leave out the rock foundation of Jesus Christ and his word. Instead, they build their lives on the shifting sands of worldly thinking, And the loss is tremendous, not only in this life, but especially in the next. Well, not only did the foolish builder build his house house with speed and with shortcuts, but he built for show. Just like the wise builder, remember, he heard the teachings of Christ, and he went out to build on them, but it was all for outward show. 
He only, he, he, uh, only wanted to bother with what could be seen by others. And foundations aren't visible, are they? Can't see the foundation of our, the house I live in. We're, our house is built on a cement slab. There's not even a little space underneath. We're right on a cement slab. And I was glad last night because the winds were really blowing. Woke me up in the middle of the night. <laughs> and I thought, I was thinking about my lesson. I thought, well, I'm really glad this house is built on a cement slab, even though we live in the sand hills. <laughs> uh, but foundations are not visible. This man would not get any credit for it by those who might come by and praise him for the beauty of his home. And this is how it is for those who are religious only. Everything is merely external. There is no reality in the heart. There's no depth to their spirituality. It is merely cosmetics. The scribes and the Pharisees were just such foolish builders, weren't they? They had God's word to build on, but instead they decided to build their house of religion on their own external man-made set of traditions and reinterpretations of the law. They built upon their own specifications, and consequently they built on what? Sand. They built on sand. Like so many within Christendom today, they brought their bodies to the house of prayer, but not their souls. They worshipped with their lips, but not with their lives, not in spirit and in truth. They had more regard for the laws of men than for the laws of God. Furthermore, their religious works as we've repeatedly discussed in this sermon, their religious works were, for the majority of them, an outward show. They did them for what? The acclaim and the praise of men. The Lord Jesus called the speedy, shortcut-taking, showy builder what? What did he call him? Foolish. And the Greek word is the word from which we get the word moron. Moros, moron. It indicates one with no forethought whatsoever for what he does. He is irresponsible, he is reckless, he is thoughtless, he is careless. The Lord Jesus also called the religious leaders of Israel fools, morons. And that is by no means a compliment, is it? Especially when it's coming from who? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who will one day sit as judge over all men. You do not want to be called a moron by Jesus Christ, trust me. The foolish builder, foolish builder is a moron because he neglected to heed Christ's word. He heard his word, just as the wise man did, so he could not claim to be ignorant of the Lord's will. He had heard it. He heard the whole sermon, just like we have. He heard it all. He knew the right way to build, but he chose not to. He willingly chose to build his own way. He willfully rebelled against known truth, and this made him all the more accountable. There are, a, you know, you'd be, you'd be better off if, if you weren't here for the sermon, if you're not going to heed the words of the sermon. You'd be better off if you hadn't heard it because now you're more accountable. There are a number of similarities. <clears throat> and I have this in your books. I'm trying to give you a little bit different lesson from what is in your books. But a number of similarities between the wise and the foolish builders. And I want to look at these just for a minute before we stress the difference that their one main uh, distinction, the foundation, made when the storm came. First of all, now we're going to talk about the similarities. First of all, both men, as we've said over and over again, heard the same directions. We could say, spiritually speaking, even though the gospel isn't really in the sermon, it, it is in a way. We've certainly presented the gospel over and over again as we've looked at it. But spiritually speaking, we could say that they both heard the gospel message. Secondly, both of them had the same desire. They had the same directions they had the same desire after hearing the message. And what was that desire? To build a house, to build their lives <clears throat> on that message. Uh, they both wanted to build a house that they had confidence would keep them safe and secure. Furthermore, both of them built somewhere in the same location 
And we know this from Luke's account because they both built near a stream, we are told. So from all outward appearances, their homes probably looked pretty much the same because you can't see the foundation, right? So outwardly, they looked identical. Both men were probably labeled as religious in their community. They may have even attended the same church. They may even come to the same Bible study. Uh, They were both upstanding, moral, responsible citizens. The unsaved tares, you know, also in Matthew 13, we learn about wheat and tares. Tares are the unsaved. The unsaved tares outwardly look the same. As uh, They look as pious, you know, they probably come dressed with a suit and tie on Sunday morning as the true wheat. You can't really, you know, there are so many things that look the same that are not really the same at all, which tells us how deceitful the external only can be. There was an all-important difference, however, between the two men. You know, they had the same declaration, they had the same desire, they had the same design, they had the same distress, the storm that hit both of them. But there was an all-important difference between the two men, and that was that they, and this wasn't noticeable to the casual observer, but it was made apparent when the last similarity occurred, and that was the same distress. They were both hit by the same disaster, the same distress, the same storm. And that's when the distinction, their foundation, became apparent. It was when the storm came that the underlying invisible difference in the two houses was revealed. It was the storm that made it obvious who had truly taken heed of Christ's words and who had not. Fair weather, sunny skies, do not reveal character like foul, stormy weather. Right? Amen. Many professing Christians do well in the good times. I mean, that's easy. That's easy for anyone. It's easy to do well when things are going well. Piece of cake. However, the whipping winds and the Hurricane Katrinas and the rough rains and the floods that come upon all of us Sometimes with a little forewarning, and sometimes suddenly. They show who really, really has their house built upon a solid foundation of rock, don't they? Notice that the same storm hit both men, both the wise man's house and the foolish man's house. Just because the wise man was a Christian, a true Christian, as we know, did not exempt him from the storm, did it? We're told that God maketh his son to rise on both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Storms are a part of life. Everyone knows that the sun does not shine every single day of the year, and it's not going to shine every single day of your entire life, unless maybe you're born today and you die tomorrow. might have a chance. Everyone is well aware of the fact that the weather is not fair all the time. And this is actually good for us. It really is because we sure do learn the most during the storms, and we grow closer to Christ during the storms. Spiritually speaking, I am speaking of trials and temptations, and even the storm here represents the the final tribunal of judgment. Trials, temptations, and the final tribunal. Job told us, talk about a man who had some troubles, Job told us that trials are always in the forecast. He said that a man is born unto trouble as what? As the sparks fly upward. He also said, man that is born of a woman is of a few days. Life is short. 
and full of trouble, he said. Furthermore, temptations, not only are trials always in the forecast, but temptations are always in the forecast because they are common to man, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.13. In addition to trials and temptations, then we have Hebrews 9.27, which tells us to expect the final tribunal. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then what? The judgment. After this, the judgment. There is a judgment for all souls as the trials and tribulations and temptations reveal the true character of one's foundation. The final tribunal shows the true character of one's faith. Regardless of what kind of house you build or where you build it, whether here in Sanford, the brick capital of the world, (laughs) or down in the sand hills where I live, which really isn't a very good illustration, but I am on a uh, cement slab. <laughs> but regardless of what kind of house you build or where you build it, it will be subjected to the crisis of the storm. Guaranteed. And notice the threefold attack of the storm uh, that hit both the wise man's house and the foolish man's house. They were hit by water, waves, and wind. <clears throat> the rain descended, right? The rain descended, that's water. The flood came, we could call that waves. That came from underneath, the floods. Remember, both houses were near a stream. And the winds blew, and that obviously is the wind. So we have the water, the waves, and the wind. And they were attacked from the top of the house, because it says the rains descended. They were attacked from underneath the house by the flood, the stream that the waters rose up from the bottom of the house, and they were attacked at the sides of the house by the winds. That's interesting. Top, bottom, sides. You know, we are attacked. Well, I should say, storms can come, trials can come from God, right? He can send them to test our faith and to cause us to grow spiritually closer to him. They can come from Satan underneath, or they can come from our fellow man. Have you ever noticed that? (laughs) On the sides of the house, we're attacked on all sides by the storms, the trials, the temptations. It's interesting, over in uh, Luke's account, now remember, what was Luke? What was his job, his profession? He, He was a physician. Go over there and look at this for a minute. This is really interesting. Luke, the physician, used medical terms in describing this storm. And that is really interesting in light of the fact, not only that he was a physician, but that most people die from something internally wrong. More people die from within, from a disease or something, than die from natural disasters. So this is interesting. Where he says that the uh, that whatever it is that beat vehemently, I'm not over in Luke. Hold on a minute, let me get there. <clears throat> he says uh, the stream beat vehemently upon the house. The word that he uses for beat vehemently speaks of a rup- the rupture of a vein, like a heart attack. And the word uh, translated ruin is actually a medical term for laceration, or again a rupture. And the word fell that he uses in uh, verse 49, and it fell, immediately it fell. That is the word in medical language, and I like this one, that speaks of the falling in of parts of the body. <laughs> and that's what happens eventually, right? If, if the, uh, something external doesn't get us, the, eventually the body starts to fall in on itself. So that's interesting. I just thought you would enjoy knowing that. The most tragic difference between the two builders is their final end. That's the most important and most tragic difference. In the Lord's extended invitation, now remember this invitation began back in Matthew 7, verse 13, when he invited all men to enter in where? At the straight gate. You know, he said, strive ye to enter in at the straight gate that leads to life. Since he began that invitation, he has been most concerned with warning men about the final judgment. This is, this is because, he says this because he loves us so much. And he talks more about hell than he does about heaven. And the reason for that is because he doesn't want men to go there. 
He didn't make hell for man. He made it for the devil and his angels, fallen angels. So first of all, he warned us that the wide gate and the broad road ultimately lead to destruction, which we talked about. It means the the loss of well-being, total ruin. And then he went on to warn men that every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is what? Hewn down and cast into the fire. That's talking about the same thing, you know, coming judgment. And now in this last picture of the two uh, builders, he ends this magnificent sermon with yet another warning of impending judgment. His final words warn the man who builds his life on sand that when the rains descend, he doesn't say if, when the rains descend and when the floods come and when the winds blow and beat upon that house, it will fall and great will be the fall of it. And the word for great in Greek is mega, mega, from which we get such words as megapolis, which is mega is huge, and polis is city, huge city, a megapolis. Or we get the word megaphone, you know, amplifying someone's voice. Or um, computer people know the word megabyte or megaton, megaton, meaning a million tons. In spiritual terminology, this mega fall represents the loss of the soul of the one who did not build his life upon Jesus Christ and his word. And there is no loss so mega as the loss of the eternal soul. It is the mega of all megas. It is a great fall. The foolish builder who represents the self-deceived false believer will eventually end up where all those on the broad road will end up in destruction. Even though he built a house that superficially looked just like the real Christian's house, it wasn't. Its foundation was false, and it was proved to be false when? Immediately. Look at Luke 6.49. It was proven to be false immediately when the tests of life beat against it. And it fell, just like that seed that came up real fast. But immediately, when the afflictions began, it disappeared. Sin causes a person to quickly come apart at the seams, to come unglued, to crumble in the storms of life. Have you ever seen how quickly a sand castle washes completely away with no trace at all when the tide comes in. After all that work, and can't even tell it was there. There is little value in a house, no matter how luxurious or how comfortable it may be, if it collapses when the storms come. It may seem great when the sun is shining, but it proves its real foundation during the hurricanes of life. When your life is not built upon Jesus Christ and his word, you are a sure candidate for a quick fall, a quick collapse. So we shouldn't really be surprised when uh, we see some professing believers, you know, some of the people maybe in our churches, who go all to pieces in difficult times or quickly yield to temptations to avoid facing facing the reality of the storm. Time, if you do not see these people come back up from that storm, now, granted, sometimes when a storm hits, we're a little shaken up inside. But ultimately, when the skies clear again, the true Christian is going to come back out of that storm, and you know what? They're going to be even stronger. Now, quickly, in conclusion, let's review the three things that the house built upon the rock had that the house built on the sand was lacking, and they are support, stability, and security. The reason that the house built on on rock had support was because of the fact that it was built on Christ and his word, and they are all, listen to me, they are all the support that we need. Christ and his word are sufficient to stand through the trials and the tribulations and the final tri- tribunal.
If the listeners will heed his words, guess what? They will survive the storms of life. Guaranteed. You will, you will, you will. However, the tragedy is that some aren't quite so sure that Christ and his word are sufficient. They're not quite so sure that they are adequate. For example, the advocates of psychology tell us that there has to be more than God's word for our support. So you know what they try to do? They try to add Freud to our faith. They try to add counseling, psychological counseling, which is a lot of it is totally secular, to Christ. And often a person becomes more dependent on their therapist than on the all-sufficient Savior and his all-sufficient word. And this is a trend in our churches today. Beware of it. Be careful of it. Go out and get the book called Our Sufficiency in Christ by John MacArthur because I don't have time to get into all this. Furthermore, the house built on rock not only had support, it had stability. In Luke's account, we're told that the storm could not shake. You see that? That's in Luke. It could not shake the house on rock. Not only did it not fall, but it was not even shaken. I like that. I like that it wasn't even shaken. It's like my big feet, you know? They're firm on the ground. When a storm comes, I can hold firm against the storms from above, from the side, from below. I'm grounded on a solid rock. Don't you want to be like that? It was stable, and the stability was great. And that fact, you know what? That truly glorified the foundation. Because when a storm hit, I mean, some of you have been hit with such terrible storms, I think about it. The loss of children, the loss of spouses, just all the tragedies that can happen in our lives. And yet when you stood firm, do you know who you gave glory to? The foundation. You gave glory to the rock foundation, and that rock is Christ and his word. Think of the three Hebrew lads who stood when all others bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. They didn't, did they? Why, Why do we see so many in our churches who fail to stand true to the faith? when the storms come. Why? It's because they did not really build upon rock. Their faith is phony. It's what we could call sand faith. You don't want that kind of faith, do you? You don't want it for your children because they're going to face storms too. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Build their lives on rock. Third, the house built on rock had security. Those living in the house, just like Noah and his family, inside the safety of the ark, those living in the house built on rock were safe and secure from the storm. There was absolutely no safe placer for them to be during the storm. I'm always so glad when we have tornado warnings or something, even though a tree fell on my house last year. I'm always so glad that I'm at home. There's no safer place for me to be than in my home when a storm hits because I'm built on a cement slab. (laughs) In the sand hill. Building on the rock of Jesus Christ brings security to the believer. And the most important security is security in the divine judgment, the final tribunal that will hit all of us one day. No one builds his house truly on the rock foundation. Who does build his house truly on the rock foundation of Christ will ever experience loss. You know, think about Job. No one, I don't think, who has ever lived has experienced what Job experienced. And yet he absolutely experienced no loss in the long run. Even though all seven of his children were taken, died, ten, ten, I don't know, all, however many he had, all of them were taken. They went to heaven. They were righteous children. And then he had... Ten more, seven more, whatever it was. He had a lot. 
And when, I mean, in heaven, he had 20 children or 14 or whatever it was. Somebody look that up quick so I can get right on the tape. Um, he didn't experience any kind of loss at all. I don't know if his wife, I guess his wife was with him in heaven, and maybe if she wasn't, it might have been better off for him. But, but he didn't lose his soul. You know, a Christian who builds on rock doesn't lose their soul. You don't even lose your body because you get a new glorified body. You might lose your mansion down here on, on planet Earth, but guess what? You get a heavenly mansion prepared especially for you in heaven. I mean, we don't experience any loss. We are protected totally from any kind of con condemnation. Our souls are anchored in that which is deep, that which is dependable, that which is durable. Why? Because we are anchored in deity, in Jesus Christ. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Everyone, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Let's close by letting me just read those last two verses, okay? Verse 28 says, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Let's pray. Father God, you did indeed astonish the people as your words have astonished us. You said so many fantastic things. Of course you had authority that was so great. You, you said you came not to destroy the law and the prophets, the whole Old Testament, but you came to fulfill them. Therefore, you are the fulfiller of the entire Old Testament. And you said over and over again, but I say unto you, but I say unto you, what authority? And you said that you would be the one who stands in final judgment on the judgment day. It will be from your lips that you will say, I never knew you depart from me to those who have built their lives on sand. Father, again, we say, except you build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So, Father God, please, may every soul here in this room today heed your words and do them and make sure that she is anchored in the rock and that rock is Christ, for we pray in his name.